Thank you for that good singing this morning. And if you would, as we turn to the preaching of the Word of God, I would like you to turn to the New Testament book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10 will be our text this morning. Actually, the passage that we are looking at is verses 7 through 10. We looked at verse 7 two weeks ago because last week, of course, because of the weather, we didn't have a service. So this is part two of a message on redemption. And we looked two weeks ago at verse 7 because it fits so perfectly with communion, with our taking of the Lord's Supper. And we learned in verse 7, Ephesians 1, verse 7, in him, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. In Christ, we have redemption. And so I sought to define redemption biblically. It is a word that we use often and sometimes we take for granted that people understand it, and not all believers understand it. To be redeemed, redemption means that God bought us, purchased us from the slave market of sin. We were slaves in bondage to our own sin, and God through Christ came, and he bought us for his own, made us his own. And redemption I said, could be thought of in three ways. We are redeemed. We are purchased from something. We are redeemed from the slave market, from our own bondage and slavery to sin. We are bought by something. We are bought by the blood of Christ, the blood of Christ referring to the entirety of the sacrificial death and resurrection of Jesus Christ as the ultimate final Lamb of God. And we are redeemed to something. We are redeemed to freedom. Oh, folks, we are free in Christ. We have been set free from bondage and slavery to our own sin. Free to live for Christ and to pattern our lives after him and to serve him as Lord and Master. And the first and perhaps most glorious result of redemption is the forgiveness of our sins. Oh, when you come to know Christ as Savior, when you receive his free gift of salvation, you are forgiven of all of your sins. In verse 7, it says, The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And we saw that the grace of God is boundless, that it is limitless, that it is infinite. And so we can say with the psalmist that our sins truly have been forgiven as far as the east is from the west. We are the redeemed children of God as we meet this morning and we have been forgiven. In verses 8 through 10, it says this, which he lavished upon us. In all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Well, our first point this morning is God's grace. 
God's forgiveness not only is given according to the riches of his grace, but is lavished upon us. I want you to notice the English translation here. We are forgiven of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And then Paul adds, which he lavished upon us. Oh my. Oh my, he lavished his forgiveness and grace upon us. Don't ever worry that your sin will ever exceed God's gracious forgiveness. Do not ever worry. No matter what you have done, no matter what your past has, in Christ you are forgiven. Now, this does not mean, well, I guess I'll just go out and sin as much as I want because his grace is lavished upon me. No, it has or is supposed to have the opposite effect, that you see the gracious grace of God and his infinite forgiveness of us, and you want to live for him. You want to love him. You want to glorify him. You want to exalt him with all of your being. But we know in this sinful, fallen world, we do sin. We let him down. We fall short. We sin against him. And we know, though, we know in Scripture if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And we rejoice in that. In Romans chapter 5 and verse 20, Paul says, Where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. Oh, I want all of you to know this morning, and especially those of you who may have committed some pretty serious sins in your background. And in your mind, you may know that those sins are forgiven, but you have a hard time accepting that. And Satan likes to dig up those old sins, especially those really serious sins. I just want you to know that God promises, based on the cross, that you are forgiven according to the riches of his grace, which he has lavished upon you. God's grace, God's forgiveness is infinite. And he lavishes it upon us without measure for all who have trusted in his Son. And because of this, we will not only enjoy future glory with God, but we now enjoy present fellowship with him. Yes, one day we are going to live in heaven with him, and we thank God and praise God for that. But right now, forgiveness also has to do with right now. We enjoy his intimate, wonderful, glorious fellowship moment by moment and day by day. So the first result of our redemption is God's glorious forgiveness. The second result of redemption for the believer is wisdom and insight. In verses 8, well, in verse 8, we'll just take verse 8. He says, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight. The two words here, wisdom and insight, actually have the same definition but with a slight variation. It's kind of like the same word from two different perspectives. Wisdom. 
He has lavished his grace and forgiveness upon us in all wisdom. Wisdom means that by means of the Holy Spirit that dwells in you, the Holy Spirit opens up your eyes, your heart, and your mind to understand Scripture, to understand the Word of God. And through that, God has given you wisdom to understand ultimate truths. And we do. We, as the children of God, we understand life and death. We understand eternal life. We understand eternal death separated from Christ forever. We understand through his word and the wisdom he has given us who God is and who we are as people, as man. Not the definition that the world or our culture gives us, but we know based on scripture who God is, that he has disclosed himself to us and God has told us who we are, created in his image the image bearers of God, but fallen and sinful. We understand that. We understand through the wisdom of God that we are righteous in Christ, but yet still we struggle with sin. Through the wisdom of God, we understand that heaven and hell are real places. They're not just something made up in literature but they actually exist. We understand through the wisdom of God, eternity, that eternity is forever, and yet there is finite time in this world that we live in. We understand that in this life we do not live forever, that life is brief. Now, insight, the definition of insight is really the same thing, but insight means to take the wisdom of God and to apply it to the needs, problems, and principles of living out the Christian life here and now. Let me say that again. Insight means to take the wisdom of God and apply it to know how to apply it to the problems, needs, and principles of living out the Christian life here and now. For example, I have the wisdom to know that I am to love my neighbor as myself. You are to love your neighbor as yourself. Insight puts names and faces to that. I am to love this neighbor, that coworker, that extended family member, this person, that person. Wisdom tells me that salvation is a free gift of God available to all who will believe in him. Insight tells me this is good news. This is really good news, and I need to share that good news with people around me. And I need, insight tells me I need to belong to a church that is committed to taking that good news to the ends of the earth. That's wisdom and insight. Wisdom tells me that heaven is a very real place, a place to look forward to and that we will live most of our life in compared to the briefness of this time. Insight tells me that I need to live my life in light of eternity. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust corrupt and where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven 
where neither moth nor rust corrupt, and thieves do not break in and steal. And so insight shows me I am to live my life in light of the wisdom that God has given me in light of all eternity. But not only has he lavished upon us all wisdom and insight, it gets even better. In verse 9, the first part, it says, making known to us the mystery of his will. Wow. I just want you to think about that this morning, that God has made known to you the mystery of his will. Do you know that you know things that other people don't know? Isn't that amazing? We know things that many people in this world do not know. Now, our attitude towards this should never be arrogance. Wow, I know something you don't know. Rather, what a gracious God that he would disclose himself to us and disclose his plans to us. We know, we know the mystery that God's only provision for man's sin is Jesus Christ. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father anywhere in the world except through Christ, except through him. We know that. We know it. We know the mystery of God that he has created and instituted, created and ordained this institution called the church, the body of Christ, the body and fellowship of believers. And it is through the church that God is carrying out his plan for all the ages. We know that. We know something that we spent a good part of 2017 looking at, uh, looking at, and that is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We know. Others don't know this, but we know that when we trust Christ as Savior, the resurrected and living Christ comes to live inside of us. Jesus lives in us. We have a power, a strength, a comfort that cannot be known apart from Christ himself. Oh, he has made known to us the mystery of his will. So let us rejoice this morning as the children of God. God not only forgives us, but he also gives us everything necessary to understand him and to walk with him day by day. We can know his will and we can please him. Do you know what it says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, that great section, verses 14 through 16, it says, the person without the Spirit, without the Holy Spirit, cannot understand the things of God. They are foolishness to him because they are spiritually discerned. And then at the end of that section, it says this, but you have the mind of Christ. Wow. You and, excuse me, you and I, as believers in Jesus Christ, 
we have the mind of Jesus to guide us in every decision and in everything we do. He generously, God generously enables us to understand his word and to obey it. And therefore, verses like James 1.5 ought to be so precious to each and every one of us as Christians. In James 1.5 it says this, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Let us rejoice in that verse this morning. If you lack wisdom, I don't know about you, I lack wisdom in a lot of things. Every day I lack wisdom. Every day I need to know how to relate to my wife, how to relate to my children and grandchildren, how to relate to the people that God has given me the great honor and privilege of ministering to in this church body. I need wisdom in knowing how to relate to those outside the church, those unbelievers that I come in contact. I don't know about you, I need wisdom with my finances. I need wisdom with how to plan for the future. I need wisdom in all areas of my life, and I'm so glad that the word of God says, if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God. Who gives? Who gives like a miser? No. Generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. Well, our second point this morning is why. Why has God done so much for us as his children? Why has he done so much for us? I want to try to put together verses 3 through 10 where we are right now in our study of Ephesians and just ask these questions. Why has God blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly realms? Why has God chosen us in Christ before the foundation of the world? Why has God made us holy and blameless? Why has he predestined us to adoption as his children? Why has he redeemed us through his blood? Why has he lavishly given us forgiveness, wisdom, and insight according to the infinite riches of his grace? Why has he done all of this? Well, here's the exciting news. Paul tells us why in this text. God redeems us so that one day all things in all places will be united under the direct lordship of Jesus Christ. Wow. That's a mouthful. Let me read it again. God redeems us so that one day all things in all places will be united under the direct lordship of Jesus Christ. Now, you may be saying this morning or thinking this morning, but Pastor Tim, isn't everything under the lordship of Jesus Christ right now? Doesn't every square inch of this universe, doesn't Christ claim that for himself? And the answer is yes. However, however, right now, the world we live in is sinful and it is fallen and we see the ravages of sin all around us every single day. Jesus said this about Satan. 
Jesus said this. He said that Satan is the prince of this world. In 1 John 5.19, it says this, We know that we are the children of God and that the whole world is under the control of the evil one. That verse has always fascinated me. We know that we are the children of God and the whole world is under the control of the evil one. Temporarily, for a time, God has allowed Satan to have a certain measure of rule on this earth. But I want you to know there is coming a day when that will not be so. There is coming a day when he will be completely defeated. At the end of verse 9 and in verse 10, it says, According to his purpose, according to God's purpose, according to his plan, which he set forth in Christ. Christ is the catalyst for everything. Jesus is the center of everything. Jesus is truly the reason, not just for the season of Christmas, but for everything. A plan for the fullness of time. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven, and things on earth. Wow. God has a plan, a purpose, which he set forth in Christ. And here it is. A plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. It reminds us of that great section in Philippians chapter 2 where it says of Christ God has exalted him above all things to the highest place God has exalted him to the highest place and given him the name that is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth, and under the earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Folks, that day is coming. That day is coming, and Paul is talking about the very same thing right here. According to Revelation chapters 19 and 20, there is coming a day at the end of the tribulation period. Oh, there is coming a day when Jesus is going to return with the armies of heaven, which will include all the redeemed who are already in heaven, and all of the angels will come with him. He will be riding on a white horse. His name will be faithful and true, and he will come, and he will completely destroy all of his enemies, and he will set up his millennial kingdom, his 1,000-year rule and reign upon a renewed earth, and he will take his rightful place on the throne over all things. Folks, you need to know the king is coming and the king will one day return and take his place. When the completion of history comes and the kingdom arrives, a new order will be established for all of eternity and the millennial kingdom will give way to the new heavens and the new, excuse me, and the new earth. Because verse 10 says, God has a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I want you to know something this morning. Jesus Christ is the goal of history. Jesus Christ 
is the goal of history. All history, no matter what others may think or see, all of history is focused on Jesus Christ, on his ultimate return, first in the rapture, then to come to set up his glorious kingdom, then we will live in the new heavens and the new earth where he will be our God and we will be his sons and daughters. All of history is moving in that direction. I say to all of us, the paradise lost in Adam is restored in Christ. The paradise lost in Adam is restored in Christ. There is coming a day when the book of Genesis is going to give way to the book of Revelation. In the book of Genesis, we see the fall of man. We see all of creation subjected to the curse. But one day, our king, our Lord, our master is going to return. And he is going to set up his kingdom. And we are going to live with him forever and ever. And you may say, how do we know all this? How in the world do we know that all of this is going to happen? It says right here, verse 8 in the first part of verse 9. God lavished his grace upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, making known to us the mystery of his will. When you think about the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, think of this. He redeemed you. Put your name in there. Make it very individual. Make it very personal. He purchased you from your slavery and bondage to your own sin. And he set you free. And you belong to him. And you not only walk with him right now, you not only walk with him on this 18th day of February 2018, but you are going to rule and reign with him forever and ever. You are going to gladly and joyfully be the subject of his kingdom. You will gladly and joyfully be his servant and live under his rule and reign forever and ever. That's what it means to be a redeemed child of God. Let's pray together. Father, how could we possibly thank you for all of these things? Thank you that you have revealed to us the glorious mystery of your will, of who you are, of who Christ is in what he came to accomplish. You have revealed to us our redemption, our forgiveness, your amazing, amazing grace. And you have shown us through the prophetic eyes of Scripture that we are going to live with you for all of eternity. Oh Lord, thrill our hearts, comfort our minds. Help us to live for you with all of our beings. In Jesus' name, amen.